This podcast is a member of the Place to Be Nation family. Visit us at placetobenation.com, the only place to be in your pop culture world. Place to be, nah, dude, come over here, this where it's at. Yo, 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 place to be is on my side, dude, because you don't want to be the target when I fly the coop. Nah, place to be is on my side, dude, because you don't want to be the target when I fly the coop. Buenos dias. Man, man, man. We call it the, uh, the place to be. Place to be. Then I shall be. It is contagious. It is the place to be. And we are live each and every Monday. To do, to, to do worse than Josh Richard. Place to Be Nation proudly presents a powerful pair of pro wrestling pundits. It's JT Rosero and Scott Criscolo. And this is the Place to Be Podcast. Get real with the fever on the dance floor. Nation. Welcome back to the great episode of the one and only Place to Be Podcast. I am your co-host, Justin Rosero, coming to you live here on this Monday evening inside the PTBN studios. And joining me, as always, is my PSC, Mr. Scott Criscolo. Scott, how are you? Good evening, JR. Place to Be Nation. Welcome to episode 604, the longest-running episodic by the fucking gold standard. Uh, 96 to 7 bills. Uh JR, always a pleasure. How you doing? We are uh, in the throes of uh, May, heading into June, and uh, the warm weather is here. Uh, hoop season. I've been thinking about you the last few months because, uh, you know, obviously you're getting back on the court for the first time since the devastating uh, season-ending injury a year ago. So mm-hmm. how, how's it been feeling? A little, 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 little ginger taking it easy? Yeah, I've been easing in, easing in for sure, trying to slowly ramp back up. But it's been good to get out there. Weather's been good, so been having fun. And uh, yeah, just going to keep keep on keeping on. Good, good. Uh, we got a great show tonight. We have a great mm-hmm. guest tonight. Let's bring him in. All right, let's do it. He is my co-host on WWE War Wrestling Above Replacement over the North-South Connection. Also the co-host of Viewer's Choice on NOSO, as well as final wrestling place with his buddy tim not the tool man taylor and that is our good friend mr marcus fuller marcus how are you the music is thumping the lights are blinking the pod is open i'm in the chamber i'm with you guys i'm thrilled to be here happy to take the tag to uh, hop on in here this is my era of wrestling like i love <laughs> i love this little um it's just this like time frame in wrestling, so I'm really excited to be here. JT, congrats on getting back on the court and a uh, long road of recovery. Thank you, my friend. I appreciate it. And we will just uh, let everyone know you were a sub here tonight, which I think is your role generally in these networks. Yeah. You're always uh, hopping at the like, get the call at the last minute sometimes. But you are subbing for our buddy Mike Eller, who uh, was scheduled to record uh, this show with us, but his wife went into labor early. And they had a, a beautiful, healthy baby boy. So I just want to send out congratulations to our yes, buddy Mikey. Uh, we'll get you rescheduled and back on soon. But uh, good news coming out of uh, Cleveland there from our buddy Mike. So, Yes, 
Yes, congrats, Mike. All right, so before we get started, as we usually do here, we head back 14 years for our vintage throwback corner with Scott Griscolo kicking us off back to Jan uh, February of 1994. Going to cover some classic wrestling, some classic pop culture, and then we'll head back to 08 and get into our pay-per-view. So, Scott, why don't you uh, take it away? All right. Well, I'm going to make it very easy for you, uh, JR. Uh, mm -hmm. There was nothing on this day. Oh. On this day, February 17th. Uh, 1994, there was nothing. There was no WWF shows. There was no WCW shows. So uh, let's, uh, after his very wonky news notes we had two weeks ago with Mr. D'Amato, uh, JR, why don't you dive right in and fire up uh, this episode's herb? Uh, because it seemed like he dived into a lot of it on his mm -hmm. news bits uh, uh, two weeks ago. So uh, what has Herb got for us? All right, let's see. Starting on February 3rd, 1994, last week I reported that Dusty Rhodes was out as booker for WCW, and they had gone back to a booking committee with Greg Gagne, Mike Graham, Robert Fuller, Ric Flair. This was confirmed this week's Observer, along with some more detail. Milster also lists Eric Bischoff and Bill Shaw as part of the committee. But my perception is it is part of the hierarchy through which the committee must pass ideas. This was the problem with Rhodes. You found out too many of his ideas were overruled. He ended up resigning the post. Dusty has been given the job title senior consultant, whatever that means. Meltzer guesses that he could finally surface as a manager or perhaps an announcer. And Meltzer noted that the booking committee runs tend to be chaotic and often temporary while they find a new booker. Kick up that campaign again, Terry Funk. Clash of Champions 26 will be rebroadcast tomorrow night on TBS at 10 o'clock. Arn Anderson has filed a, filed a civil suit against Sid Vicious based on the scissor assault in Blackburn, England. And according to North Carolina law, it can only be reported if the suit is seeking in excess of $10,000 in damages. Barry Darso, who's most recently the WS Repo Man, was now in WCW, will be teaming with Arn Anderson. As I mentioned last week, Kevin Sullivan is in WCW as a wrestler, teaming with the Equalizer to feud with Cactus Jack and Max Payne. Somehow it doesn't seem like a title feud material, so perhaps WCW has abandoned the idea of giving the belts to Cactus and Max. The WF is planning a four-day tour of Japan in May. There could be Flack with Rodney Anoa'i appearing as Yokozuna. Melter reports that Cactus Jack mentioned on a Wrestling Insiders that he didn't deserve the Bruiser Brody Award. He said Vader should have earned that. The Undertaker will be back in November, perhaps the Survivor Series. WCW Super Bowl 4 on February 20th, 1994. Flair versus Vader in the Thunderdome. Pillman, Sting, and Dustin Rhodes versus Austin, Orndorf, and Rude in the Thunderdome. Steve Regal versus Arn Harrison for the TV title. Nasty Boys versus Max Payne and Cactus Jack for the tag titles. Johnny B. Bad versus Michael Hayes. Harlem Heat versus Thunder and Lightning. Diamond Dallas Page versus Terry Taylor. And Jungle Jim Steele versus The Equalizer. On Saturday night, January 29th, 94, they aired a strange press conference where Commissioner Nick Bockwinkle announced that Ric Flair would not be wrestling Vader at Super Bowl because of an injury. Flair suffered at the clash. This was a great angle, which will no doubt lead to Flair wrestling against Doctor's orders, although I think it may come off as rushed. The whole angle came off as very real. Steamboat and Vader yelled at each other a bit during the angle. Interestingly enough, Rick Steamboat isn't on this card, but I somehow doubt they would go against all their advertising for this show. Dewey Fires WrestleMania 10 on March 20th. Announced matches are Alex Luger versus Yokozuna for the WWF title. Bret Hart will fight the winner, but at first he fights Owen Hart earlier in the night. And King of the Ring, still listed here from Herb, is in July from Baltimore. Marcus, any thoughts on that first batch of Herb notes? Uh, the uh, <laughs> the audacity of Arn Anderson uh, to win a scissors fight and then turn around and place a civil suit. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's uh, that's some good working right there. 
Um, and then I guess Kevin Sullivan coming in, I just um, he's such a just a strange character in wrestling to me. Uh, whenever he's on screen, he just I think presents himself with some kind of like underlying authority. Like I remember my dad like was never like a big behind the scenes wrestling fan. Mm-hmm. But like just casually watching, he could watch WCW and be like, ah, that's that's the guy like making the matches. Like somehow he just <laughs> knew Kevin Sullivan had the pencil. So um, I guess this is the start of that for WCW. And that committee, um, they said Ganya and Graham mm-hmm. were like too busy up their own butts. And then he got Robert Fuller, legend, just taking a payday. And he got <laughs> ADD flair. Uh, like no wonder nothing's getting done during that time frame, and they they got to bring in uh, Sullivan. Well, the one thing with Flair during the stretch is he books himself like on like this super work rate title run, which was one of the positives of the stretch of him booking, because that leads to the Steamboat feud, which ends up being great mm-hmm. um, during this time period. But that's like the one positive is he puts himself in that position. Mm-hmm. All right, let's move forward a week. Following text headline an article in the Globe and Mail a couple days ago, WrestleMania referees with sticks ensure fair fights. I don't know what this is about. He says it's not an article about Pat Patterson. Uh, the article, uh, I don't know. I'm not going to get to this. This is usual herb nonsense. He does say he has the flu, so this is a short one. So perhaps he had a fever when he was writing the stupid stuff here. Uh, as already reported on the net, there's talk Ric Flair and Hulk Hogan will have a pay-per-view match at some point this year. WCW is scrambling to work it out. Certainly that match will have cross-promotional appeal if WCW could promote it well and have a very strong undercard compared to current WF shows. They could conceivably draw some new fans into the fold. It wouldn't be a great match compared to other possible flair matches, but it could be the best move for the company to increase its fan base and then try and keep the new fans. Gene Oakland actually mentioned Hogan's name on the weekend shows, saying is prohibited from talking about the details on TV, but Sting and Hogan will be teaming up soon. Clearly, that was just a plug for Thunder in Paradise. Hogan's soon to start airing TV show. Melzer points out that Hogan's show is taped in Orlando with the studio next door to WCW's, so he thinks that whether or not Hogan makes a pop-in appearance at the next tapings is a measure of progress in any negotiations. Anybody hoping or thinking WF is going to start pushing Bam Bam Bigelow as a monster heel, a la Vader, better think again, because his next house show run will feature him and Luna Vachon versus Doink and Dink. Talk to WCW is negotiating with Dan uh, Dan Croft, as he puts it here, and Doug Furness, of course, is Dan Crawford, to come in between all Japan tours. Crawford and Furness used to go to Mexico to fill time between tours, but that has fallen through. Melzer also reports that the WF has made major gaffes on the Cindy's of the weekend that aired on Sunday, the day after the Royal Rumble. In voiceovers, they talked about the Rumble last night, the great match between Tatanka and Ludwig Borga. Also said that in New York, they aired the Sunday version on Saturday, so they talked about the finish of the Rumble before it even aired. So that's a pretty huge one right there. Wow. <laughs> that's wow. True. That's bad. Uh, Super Bowl four, same card as expected. Vader beat up Ricky Steamboat. This led to Flair phoning in and telling Bockwinkle to reinstate his match with Vader. By the end of the show, the match was back on, provided that Flair supplied a medical release to Bockwinkle. Show was originally supposed to have Johnny be bad versus Michael Hayes. The grudge is being set up on worldwide. Hayes' contract came up, but he was not happy with his new offer, so he quit. This means they'll have to just drop the storyline or come up with a creative finish to the Orlando tapings. WrestleMania 10, same card as last week, but we've now added Crush versus Randy Savage, false count anywhere. Both wrestlers have to be back in the ring 30 seconds after a pinfall. King of the ring, July, Baltimore. Uh, anything there before we roll on to our third installment? 
I'm all for wrestlers just quitting, um, <laughs> except for Shawn Michaels. Um, other than that, I absolutely love when a wrestler's just like, yeah, cool, I'm out. And like, I feel like that becomes less and less as like mm. this era continues because of yeah. guaranteed money and contracts and all that stuff. So uh, the free bird being set free, love to see it. Mm. Super Brawl on Sunday. Announced lineup is the same and matches taped for TV after Super Brawl. The Nasty Boys still have the tag titles. Since Patriot versus Steve Regal series of matches should continue for a few weeks, we can guess who wins that match with Regal and Arn for the TV title. And Steel versus Equalizer should just be super. Kevin Sullivan debuts on TV a couple weeks after Super Brawl. The week following Super Brawl, the Nasty Boys will ignore the Equalizer after the threesome wins a match. This leads to Equalizer's face turn and the appearance of his big brother, Sullivan, to go after the Nasties. Who thinks this stuff up? Sherry Martell will manage the team. I, lo- I always love when Herb is extra snarky and shit that doesn't happen, and this is one of them. Uh, <laughs> I guess it kind of happens a little bit, but yeah, I guess, I guess it does. But Sherry doesn't manage them, but it's... It, Similar to what happens. WCW has worked out a deal to bring in Kurt Hennig. They've already begun taping vignettes with Kurt doing all his perfect things like hunting deer, hitting one with one shot. Hennig has apparently been contacted by WF about appearing at WrestleMania 10, but got a sweeter offer from WCW, which, of course, we'll see is not correct. The Toronto Sun reports that Shawn Michaels will be finished with the WWF after WrestleMania and already plans to go to WCW. This report is quite unreliable, so take it with a grain of salt. I doubt we'll really be confident of saying anything until we see the finish at WrestleMania. Speaking of the Sun, I've read it there and heard elsewhere. WCW plans to form another four horsemen. They need to wait for Arn Anderson's return, and they now have two active horsemen in Arn Flair. I suppose Ole could always be called in to be in front of the camera again, but maybe they should do a searching far and wide vignette and bring in Kurt Hennig. ABC's sitcom Family Matters features the Bushwhackers tomorrow night against Carl Winslow and Steve Urkel. It's an infamous episode. WrestleMania 10, Luger Yoko, Brett versus the winner, Brett Owen, Crush Savage, Razor Ramon versus Shawn Michaels at a ladder match, the Quebecers versus Men on a Mission for the tag team titles, Alondra Blaze versus Debbie Combs for the women's title, and there's talk that Evander Holyfield will be a special guest referee in one of the title matches. For the first time in recent memory, WF will feature matches on pay-per-view that have already been run at house shows. Crush versus Randy Savage false Conway matches. The house shows are said to be terrible, partly because of lack of action and partly because the stipulations are sloppy. Ramon Michaels' ladder matches have been in the four-star range regularly, with Michaels putting on bump clinics. Some people expect the Quebecers men on a mission match to be changed to Quebecers Steiners after we get an unseen angle. We're almost get a .9 buy rate. That means WF has put on two of his least popular pay-per-views ever back-to-back. King of the Ring, Baltimore, now June 19th, 1994. Uh, let me just get through this last batch, and then you guys can weigh in with any final thoughts. Tomorrow, February 25th, we have Ric Flair's 44th birthday. This talk uh, WCW, that WCW and Hulk Hogan have reached an agreement. It's so secret that Hogan and Flair want to work a match or a program later in the year on pay-per-view, and that WCW has tabled an offer. There's mixed reports on Hogan signing or not, but talk is now that he's reached a deal to appear in WCW, but not yet one to wrestle. Ted DiBiase is talking to Rafa about coming in as a manager or color commentator on a full-time basis. After his neck injury in Japan, he won't wrestle at least until 1995, likely due in part to insurance money that he'll be collecting from here on out. This weekend, superstars Bret Hart gets Anabomb to submit to the sharpshooter while Owen watches. Talk is that Stu Hart, who knows all uh, and who knows what other hearts, will appear at the show to act horrified at the prospect of the brothers fighting. WCW taped the next three months of worldwide 
uh, wrestling in Orlando. Many details from the reserve have already been reported. Dusty Rhodes was present, and he and Eric Bischoff were still the guys in charge. Official word was that Rhodes had to finish up storylines that he started before announced the committee of Flair, Parker, Gagne, and Graham take over the booking. Bobby and Steve Kern will be teamed as the Fabulous Express. There's talk that Elizabeth was contacted to come in, but she's still bound to Titan to not work for the competition. The WF goes to Japan for a four-show tour from May 7th to May 11th. Several Japanese wrestlers will begin to appear on the tour. The only males of real note being Maso Arhara and Jinichiro Tenru. WrestleMania 10, same card as last week, but we've now added Ludwig Borger versus Earthquake and Doink and Dink versus Bigelow and Fashan. Little Richard will be singing the national anthem. Burt Reynolds and Jenny Garth will be there, and it's expected George Steinbrenner will be a guest timekeeper or ring announcer with Evander Holyfield as a guest referee. Current words that men on a mission versus the Quebecers is a go, and the Steiners will not be at WrestleMania. There's also talk that Undertaker will make a spooky appearance. Spring Stampede, April 17th. Tentative lineup, Flair versus Steamboat for the WCW title, Rude versus Sting for the international title, Vader versus The Boss, Austin versus Muda for the U.S. title, Regal versus Pillman for the TV title, The Nasty Boys versus Cactus Jack and Max Payne for the tag titles, Dustin Rhodes versus Bunkhouse Buck, who will be Jimmy Golden, and Tom Zenk versus Terror Ryzen. So pretty accurate on this card, actually, this far out. Mm. Slambury 2 on 522, rumored lineup of Rick Rude versus Vader for the international title, Steve Austin versus Johnny B. Bad for the U.S. title, Steve Regal versus Larry Zabisco for the TV title, and Dustin Rhodes versus Bunkhouse Buck. And of course, you know, he's piecing this together from the TV tapings as well, so it's it's not too much of a guess. And uh, finally, King of the Ring, 619 from Baltimore. So, do you guys have any final thoughts on the Herb Notes before we truck along? Uh, I have just two things, and then I'll pass along to Scott. Um, the, uh, Kurt Henning uh, doing Mr. Perfect vignettes for WCW. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I had I had not known about him possibly going to WCW during this time. Out of all his rumored uh, flip-flopping back and forth, I don't think I had heard that him going to Atlanta during this time was a possibility. Uh, I'm absolutely enthralled with the possibilities of like doing all the Mr. Perfect vignettes, but making them mm-hmm. like redneck activities. <laughs> <laughs> that is definitely one i remember being a rumor at that time that he was going to, that's why he left because he was set up for a feud with luger coming out of mania right uh, and that he was actually rumored when he no showed so th- i didn't know the rumors before mania it's after mania when he leaves abruptly that everyone thought he was going to wcw and they do that whole thing with um i think it's a slamboree where it ends up being wyndham and people thought it might be Hogan. People thought it might be perfect. We're oh. saying like the big blonde champion and all that. So, uh, but I th- again, I think that was more for after mania than, than before. Okay. Cause, and uh, my other second note uh, is that slamboree card. That's actually my first ever live event that I went to. Uh, so knowing that like Mr. Perfect versus flair could have been in the cards, um, man, now I'm kind of mad that didn't happen. Yeah, I mean, they yeah. end up getting broken down Barry Windham, sadly, who uh, couldn't <laughs> yeah. really couldn't really pull it together for that match. But that's yeah. a really fun show. I didn't know you were really live. I, I I love that whole stretch. But Spring Stampede is uh, an all timer. Yes. Uh, and uh, Slambury is right up there with it. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Uh, at least uh, uh, Herb got the uh, King of the Ring date right because he kept saying mm-hmm. July throughout January. So uh got that worked out but uh yeah i mean any of those pay-per-views at the beginning of 94 are all so good 
Like mm. WCW TV was so good in most of 93 and into 94. Um, but yeah, that's about it. I, again, uh, JR, we mentioned it two weeks ago on the show about those Japan shows. Uh, maybe we'll have one, you know, I could, we'll talk about it on our episode when we do, I guess it's Judgment Day 08. Um, we'll see what transpired on those Japan shows if uh, Graham and Landy have them in, uh, on the site. Because I'm curious to see who they actually get and what kind of right. matchups they see we see from like the 94 roster. It should be pretty interesting. All right. Well, that'll wrap it up for Herb, who, of course, always delivers these, even with the flu, via the power of love that he brings us. And uh, that is our number one song in the nation this week in 1994. No, it is not Huey Lewis, but it's Celine Dion, The Power of Love. Our number Your one voice is warm and tender, love that I could not forsake. I'm your lady And you are my man Whenever you reach for me Brings us uh, to Scott Priscilla, it's Pop Culture Water. Thank you, JR. And yes, Cindy uh, on, silly bitch, as uh, Terrence and Philip would say. Number one uh, on the charts, 13 weeks. And uh, this is the, uh, what, second week at number one. Uh, the number one that we had two weeks ago on our show, the All for Love uh, Three Musketeers Trinity of Brian Adams, Rod Stewart, and Sting. Uh, not that Sting. Uh, dropped to number two. Ace of Base, The Sign, at number three and moving up. I saw the sign. Uh, Breathe Again by Tony Braxton at four. What a Man. We had Salt and Peppa a month ago with Shoop. Mm-hmm. And now, what a man. They dominate. I mean, 94 is like their, obviously like the first album and whatever. Let's talk about sex and all that was a little bit earlier. But like yeah. this, this is like their power stretch. Shoop and what a man. Um, we're defining, especially uh, young men of a certain age, uh, like 13, 14, where I was at. Hmm. Those music videos were next level. Um, the what a man video is, yes. is up there. Uh, yep. Shoop is as well. So those were, I mean, just dominant in 94 for sure. Yep. And of course... As was Ace of Bass, um, their three big songs are on 94, the signed, iconic, uh, as well as All That She Wants, yep. and uh, Don't Turn Around, so great He's stuff. Going to my room. And What A Man, actually, it's a salt and Pepper featuring En Vogue, so wow, mm-hmm. talk about yeah. a double powerhouse of that song. That's a massive uh, collaboration. Yeah, that's crazy. Uh, Mariah at six with Hero, and then at seven with Without You, which is a great song, and Never Forget You. Uh, Understanding by Xscape at number eight. Number nine, Ghetto Jam by Domino. And number 10, So Much in Love by All for One. So there is the uh, Billboard charts for this week, February 19th, 1994. So let's go from the radio to the theater and see what uh, the big movies were on this week, February 18th, uh, 1994. At number 10, Romeo is Bleeding. I remember that movie. I don't remember who's in it, though. I can't remember who's in that, though. Uh, Jurassic Park at nine, still making money like crazy. $344 million to this point. My Five of the Hero at number eight. Uh, Gerard Lucas- Depardieu. Gerard Depardieu. Uh, at number seven, it was number one uh, on our last show, JR, but Mrs. Doubtfire at mm-hmm. number seven at this point has made $193 million. 
Uh, Schindler's List at number six. Uh, Reality Bites uh, actually made its uh, uh, debut uh, that week at number five. Number four, Blank Check, which was a Walt Disney movie. Hmm, And number three, yeah, and number three is a big one. I know all three of us saw this one at some point. Blue Chips. Yes, great movie. At number three. Great movie. Nick Nolte. Uh, I definitely uh, saw that in the theater, 100%. Shaq and and, uh, the rest of that crew. Penny. Penny, yep. At number two, (laughs) sadly, Penny got caught in real life for what what was going on in that that movie. (laughs) So, so, we're supposed to follow it, Penny. Um, (coughs) um, At number two, uh, one week on the charts, again, another iconic, uh, another iconic 90s movie, Ace Ventura at the Mm. time. Hmm. So that as well, my favorite. Oh, yeah. And uh, the number one movie, The weekend making uh, its debut that weekend, $14 million at the box office, On Deadly Ground, one of many uh, Steven Seagal movies that kind of faded down the stretch. Um, is that the... Uh, let me make sure. I want to make sure before I insult Steven Seagal or uh, don't insist- <laughs> and don't confuse... I should make sure On Deadly... Is that the one with Steven Seagal? Yes, it is. Okay, it is the one with Steven Seagal. All right, I just want to make sure. Actually, Michael Caine's in it. That's weird. I remember him in that. Anyway. It's got to be a Michael Caine. Yeah. Michael Caine. Uh, On Deadly Ground, your number one movie of this weekend, February 18th, 1994. Uh, all right. Let's get a look at what was going on on the hardwood on this day. Uh, games being played on February 17th, 1994. There were six games. Uh, Mr. D'Amato's Knicks uh, won by seven. Yes. Yes. Celtics uh, got pummeled by at home by 19 to the Nets. Uh, yeah, pretty much it there. Uh, the standings to this point, uh, the uh, Knicks leading at 35 and 15, uh, leading the Atlantic. Uh, the Bulls, first year without Michael, uh, retirement number one, uh, leading the Central by a half game over the Hawks. Uh, the Rockets lead the Midwest at 35 and 13. And the Seattle Supersonics with the best record in the league at 36 and 11. The Hornets kind of slipped at this point. They were 23 and 25. And the Lakers, as I mentioned uh, last episode, are fairly terrible at uh, 18 and 30. The Hornets must make a push late because they end up in a decent spot. The play, uh, yeah, because I think they lose in this. I think they make the second round. Or, no, actually, I think they lose in the first round this year. 94. Uh, yeah, 93 is when they beat the Celtics and then lose to the right. Knicks. I think 94, they lose to the Knicks in the first round. And then they ended up getting hosed, I know, in 95, 96. They get Jordan in the comeback in the first round. Yes. Mm. There, so, yeah. Let's see. Uh, the 94 Hornets uh, did not make the playoffs. Okay. They missed right. it by a game. The Heat got the eighth spot. Collapse. Uh, yeah. The draft that year, though, 93 draft is when they drafted Scotty Burrell. So, um, so we go. On the Frozen Pond, there were five games. Uh, our Whalers, uh, JR, losing in Pittsburgh 6 4 to the uh, Penguins. Uh, the standings to this point, February 17th, 94. The Rangers continuing to lead the Atlantic by nine over the Devils. Bruins, uh, out of nowhere, they were in third place a month ago or, you know, on our last episode. They're now. A point ahead of Pittsburgh in the Northeast. So the Bruins made a nice little run the last month or so. Uh, Toronto leading the Central and Calgary leading the Pacific. And uh, finally, of course, we cannot uh, 
finish without talking about what was going on that week on uh, the beloved Beverly Hills 90210. As you know, we are in the middle of season four, which was uh, freshman year at Cal U. Uh, mm-hmm. This episode that aired on the 16th was called Addicted to Love. Uh, Brandon uses, oh, I remember this episode. Brandon uses Kelly as his date at a university social event to shield his affair with Lucinda from Josh Richland, the snooping student reporter from the Condor, who was determined Son to dig up bitch. any, any <laughs> yeah, what, a, what a bastard, uh, any dirt on Brandon. Meanwhile, Brenda and Stuart travel to Palm Springs mm. where they find big complications from a small mistake Brenda makes, which leaves them stranded in the desert where Brenda finally breaks off their engagement for good. David rents a piano as a new hobby with, while Kelly moves back in with him and Donna. Also, Andrea lets Steve use her dorm room, which he rents out to the frat brothers. Little uh, trivia here, JR. Do you remember what the frat, what that main frat brother's name was? Grant? Months. Months. Well, yeah, I, I was thinking of like the heel. Yes, months, of course. Oh, no, Grant. Was Grant, uh, was that Casper? Grant's the guy with the, Grant's the dude with the, the fire. Yeah, Casper, right? Casper Van, wasn't that Casper Van Dien? Yeah, that's him. So that's yeah. what I was saying. I thought you meant the being healed. No, no, of no, course, no. months. No, his buddy, his buddy months. months. Yeah, his buddy months. Yeah. So anyway, he rents uh, Andrea's dorm to months and the other frat brothers. Mm-hmm. We all know what happened there. So, uh, yeah, we are in uh, midway through season four. Uh, I think an underrated season. Mm-hmm. Obviously, most remembered for uh, being Shannon Doherty's last. But we'll get more more episodes down the line. Uh, and with that, uh, that, uh, Jr. is our pop culture corner. Yeah, talking Nato 2 0, of course, Nato 2 1 so one of the many great shows over on the North South Connection. Each and every day, we have Cronoso Daily going through every dirty F pay per view and science main event match, one match at a time with a different voice every weekday morning. Wrestling Warzone is back at it every other Thursday. Chad and I are careening through the fall of 1996. Recently, uh, gotten through Mind Games, a fall brawl. We're hyping up toward Halloween Havoc and Buried Alive. That's every other Thursday, rotating with the Extreme Through a Dance. Myself, Jenny and Matt Souza are on the doorstep of 1997. We recently covered November to Remember 1996, which is an awesome all-time show there. Yes. So excited to be heading into 97. Uh, you know, Marcus, you and I and Duty War, we're in our third, uh, no, fourth fourth season, right? Jeez, already. Yeah. Um, as we're covering NXT 2018-19. Uh, so, uh, mm. you know, interesting stuff that we'll be mining there. Marcus has some strong takes on a lot of that. Uh, <laughs> but we're uh, really enjoyed doing 99-2000, Marcus. Yeah, um, night and day difference. I feel like we have a really good variety bouncing around from season to season. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, if you haven't listened, go ahead and uh, and check out the catalog and, and catch up and join us because, boy, do we have some uh, some takes. Yep. And uh, Marcus, you want to mention Final Wrestling Place at all? Oh, sure. Absolutely. Uh, over on the soon to be named network, I do a podcast called Final Wrestling Place with uh, my buddy from Viewer's Choice. And that is Tim, not the tool man, Taylor, where we take the nouns professional wrestling and we put them into the hypothetical good place or the bad place based on arbitrary red points and green points. So um, I think we just finished up our season on uh, the best Intercontinental champions to never become world champion. And um, yes, yeah, go ahead and check us out over there. And also be sure to check out uh, the Viewer's Choice special on the GWWE that you and Tim have done, where you uh, set a clock for 30 minutes and just rattle off. Tim rattles off random names and you guys debate, are they top 50, bottom 50 or off the list? Um, So if you guys are working toward 
GWWE, which will be the end of our stretch project to the end of the year. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have we've had some really good content. We've had good good old Will from Texas has been back in the fold. He did some series uh, breaking down different groups of wrestlers, and then you and uh, Tim have been going through um, that project as well, which has been a lot of fun. Yeah, we play a little bit of uh, Price is Right, High Low. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tim being the uh, game show mark that he is. Uh, so it's been a blast so far. And uh, every day I'm kind of uh, eyeballing and tinkering my top 100 list. Of course, you have to. Mm-hmm. Uh, Scott, what's going on with Placement Nation Wrestling? This is a very feed right here that we're listening to. Uh, a lot of great things, as always, here on the OG, uh, the PTB Wrestling Network. Uh, a lot of G- WWE content uh, throughout the spring here. And as we get into the summer, uh, Dr. G and I have been, uh, we talked about my original ballot on the uh, Saturday special during December and January. Uh, we'll talk some more GWWE to go along with our NWA talk. Speaking of NWA, this coming weekend is a big weekend because this coming Saturday, the 11th of June, is uh, their pay-per-view, NWA Always Ready. And it's actually pretty, mm. pretty loaded. It's going to be a pretty good card. A lot of good matches. Uh, so, of course, uh, Dr. G and I will have our preview special in the morning. And then that evening, Saturday night, the 11th, join myself, the doctor, probably Sean Sean Kidd, and uh, the kettle man, Callum McDougal. We will do the live uh, Place to Be Nation Twitch feed, uh, alternate commentary. And then that Monday morning, uh, the doctor and I and anybody else that joins us will have our reaction special. So all NWA this coming weekend for their big always ready uh, pay-per-view uh, on Saturday night from Knoxville, Tennessee. Uh, and of course, all the other great stuff as well. Uh, of course, here are the OG, Main Event, NWA Crock and Roll, Highway to the Impact Zone, all the great shows. Uh, just check us out all the time. And, of course, follow the brand on Twitter, please, at PTBN Wrestling. We do lots of polls. We post the shows. We post questions. People have given show ideas. Uh, a lot of great stuff over there. So keep the uh, keep the uh, the input coming. We love hearing from you. And, of course, the rest of the uh, quad, of course, the PTB Pop Experience. Uh, great stuff over there from Andy Atherton and the gang. And, of course, the Jenny Position, which you can check out every Wednesday. Correct, JR? Uh, over on uh, the NOSO. Uh, so the quad so the yes, quite accurate. That's the quadipods. Uh, you cannot find anything better anywhere outside of the four, uh, the four points. So four points. That's another one I can name too. Uh, great shows on the internet all the way around uh, from our four feeds. So check everything out. Also, we're going to check out our show tonight, our main events. Heading back to 2008 to get into our timeline as we're going to talk No Way Out 2008. Who's to know if your soul will fade at all? The one you sold to fool the world. You lost your self-esteem along the way. Live February 17th from Paradise, Nevada, the Thomas Mack Center. 15,240 in attendance, 329,000 buys. No Way Out 2008 is the 10th No Way Out pay-per-view that WWE has produced. The past four were SmackDown only. This, of course, includes all three brands. On 129.08, the Wildcat, Chris Harris, signed with WWE. And, of course, with the infamous relief coming out as Braden Walker. <laughs> Uh, you know, Scott, we mentioned this at the Royal Rumble with Mike Adamley. I feel like we're in the early days of, you know, memes aren't really memes yet, but 
memes. <laughs> like I prayed and walked up like Adam Lee with Jeff Harvey. Like oh I think these god. are ongoing <laughs> online jokes that are just like unraveling during the oh time. Oh my period. god. Braden Walker <laughs> ate Chris Harris. <laughs> he looks like he ate five Wildcats. Oh my god. It's terrible. Um uh I don't know if you're about to mention this, JR, but I might as well say it. This is Nevada's uh fourth pay-per-view. Um the, the state of Nevada. Their second no way out. Of course, Nevada started with WrestleMania 9, dubiously. And then the last two shows, probably all-timers, top to bottom. Of course, No Way Out 2001, arguably the greatest secondary pay-per-view of all time. And then another one that gets uh, that kind of love as well, Vengeance 2005, uh, also a tremendous pay-per-view. So uh, after a, after a uh, questionable one in 1993, uh, mm-hmm. Vegas has gone back-to-back with some hot shows. So they're on a roll heading into tonight uh, for No Way Out. So I just wanted to make that point. They're now tied with, let's see, other states with four. Uh, they are tied with, as of now, Connecticut, uh, Georgia, Kentucky, Rhode Island, uh, Washington, D.C., and Wisconsin. All those states have four shows as of this moment. So uh, there we go. Again. All right. All right. On February 1st, Eve made her TV debut on SmackDown. On February 4th, Bobby Lashley was released. So he hung on quite a while after that last match with Cena at the Bash. On February 4th, Rory McAllister had a son named Ian. February 7th, it was announced that SmackDown's final episode on the CW would air on September 12th. So they got out of that one. Uh, they, they got ahead of that one by quite a bit here. Mm. But they'd be ending. And I believe that's. Is that when they go to my network after CW? I think so. Marcus, yeah. you would know, right? You, you were yep. kind of dialed in on that. Yeah. Uh, so they would be there for a bit. On Also on February 7th, it was announced that Duty was cutting all ties with Ohio, Ohio Valley Wrestling, ending nearly a decade-long relationship with that company. Mm-hmm. February 10th, Rory McAllister underwent surgery for a complete pec tear. The next day on Raw, Paul Burchill cut an in-ring promo on their brother-sister relationship with Katie Lee. This is Katie's debut and Burchill's return after nearly two-year absence. And of course, you know, formerly a pirate and now uh, incest uh, monger, I guess. I don't know, but that's what they kind of hint at here. February 15th, Mid-Atlantic wrestling legend John D. Weaver passed away at age 72. And that same day, Ted DiBiase Jr., a developmental talent in Florida Championship Wrestling, was arrested for a DUI in Tampa, crashing into another car. His blood alcohol level was 0.14. Our dark match tonight, Shelton Benjamin taking on Kane. And then we head in for our final stop on the road to WrestleMania. We have a pretty basic opening package sent around the big elimination chamber matches, everything surrounding them. Jim Ross and the King welcome us in and we head right to the ring. First, we get a quick video package on the entrances that highlights our opener, CM Punk, taking on Chavo Guerrero for the ECW title. On January 22nd, days before the Royal Rumble, Chavo defeated CM Punk to win the title in a no-DQ match after Edge interfered. The no-DQ stipulation was not announced until during the ring introductions. The next week, while Guerrero was celebrating his victory, Punk, disguised as a member of mariachi band, hit Guerrero with a guitar during a championship celebration. On February 5th, Punk demanded an immediate rematch against Guerrero for the title. Guerrero accepted, but said it would be at no way out. On the same night, ECW general manager Armando Estrada scheduled the first ever Gulf of Mexico Extreme Rules match. This is a pretty infamous one as Punk threw Guerrero into the Gulf of Mexico. Uh, Mm -hmm. A lot of jokes there with Guerrero potentially getting some communicable diseases after being thrown in that uh, not-so-clean water. Um, I remember being pretty shocked at the time when Guerrero won the ECW title. It was not a fan-friendly move at all. Not just saying he's a Guerrero hater at this point, but um, it, it was, you know, it felt like, oh, we're just, like, wasting punk. 
I think we'll see it's kind of a means to an end to get Punk to the next level. I think it was just more that Chavo was the guy. Uh, but as we've seen, too, he is starting to really be enveloped into Edge's family as well. So uh, we open with this action. Joey Styles and Taz are announcers. Joey reminds us that Chavo did rob Punk of the title with help from Edge and has been chasing. Punk has been chasing since. Punk gets a good pop. No pop for Chavo. Uh, nice start as Punk kicks him in the head with a, after a slap. Punk counters an attack from there. Moser Chavo with some snap offense. Chavo throws Punk to the floor and gets to work. The crowd fully behind Punk. Chavo pushes through some offense, mainly some strikes and a solid back suplex, getting near falls, going to body scissors. Punk quickly escapes and makes a comeback. It's a good near fall and a snap power slam. Chavo keeps in it, opens up his offense up a bit with a hurricanrana and a tornado DDT for two. Joey talks about Chavo maybe figuring out how to counter the GTS after taking it week after week. We get a good back and forth down the stretch with Punk trolling Chavo with the three amigos. Actually gets booed when he does it. Punk runs through some more offense but can't put Chavo away. Chavo blocks to go to sleep again. Takes a hard kick to the head and falls to the floor. Punk continues to control in the ring but Chavo blocks the top pro per Karana and finishes clean with a frog splash to a pop. I, I mean, this felt like the true bizarre world. Uh, you would hope the only, you know, positive to come out of this is that punk maybe will move up to the main roster uh off of this i know it's not quite main roster but off of ecw uh the match was pretty good especially once it got cooking uh punk taking the clean loss i thought it was questionable but again if it's the ends of the mean to get him out of here it's worth it uh two and three quarters to me scott and like what better can we be doing ecw at this point than what we have right now where chavo uh defeating cm punk twice once like very clean here and reigning as our champion uh, two and a half for me. Uh, your time was 7.06. Um, this is not a good sign because I think now, yeah, we'll have a guy here and a guy there, but now we're getting to the point, I think, where Vince is like, all right, I don't really give a shit about like actual ECW type guys. Let's just give this to some fucking guy. And I don't know if right. it was meant to kind of, I don't know if it was meant to kind of bolster Edge's crew. On, uh, on SmackDown as we are heading towards WrestleMania, because right now Edge does not have an opponent. We'll explain why in a little bit. But um, I think I think there a lot of people were upset because Chavo's not an ECW guy. Chavo's a guy nobody cares about anymore. You know, yeah, he was once Cruiserweight champion the year before, yada, yada, yada. So I think the crowd was like, oh, great. No, this is it. Vince, Vince uh, gave us our, our fun with the ECW title, but now it's time to just bounce it around just like another belt for some schlubs. And I think that's why a lot of people uh, and the fact that, you know, Chavo won clean doesn't help either. But again, I think it's supposed to be forgotten like the next night. Obviously, we'll talk about it in a couple weeks. Um, uh, we'll forget about this match and Punk moves on, we, we hope. Uh, but overall, Marcus, I mean, it was, it was OK. But uh, I I think anybody else, probably it would be acceptable but i think the crowd sensing that this is you know fucking chavo is starting to get that feeling that ecw is starting to kind of lose its luster a bit and it's just like another brand of guys instead of what it's meant to be mm-hmm. yeah and i think you guys covered it on uh when you did rumble last episode i mean chavo's in the royal rumble as ecw champion so that's a clear message to the fans that like in other years the ecw title was presented at least as an option for the winner of the royal rumble to challenge for and by this point, it's officially just another mid-card title. Um, and getting it on Chavo, who they didn't really do a lot to, like, change his character or re- represent or, like, repackage him. It's just, here's Chavo. Like, 
I definitely shared in that fan sentiment of dread when Chava won the ECW title, uh, just for that reason, you know, he added a poncho, I think, and that was the extent of, uh, you know, rebuilding or changing up his character. Um, and I think, you know, getting the title off punk is one thing, but the fact that he toils around until, you know, as we'll see pretty soon, um, you know, that's a decent amount of time that he's just toiling around on ECW, uh, exchanging wins and losses with Chavo, like, if he's going to be hanging around, why not change the ECW title a couple times? Like, change it in the Gulf right. of Mexico match. Have Chavo win it back at the pay-per-view anyways. Like, do mm-hmm. something to make it a little interesting. It's not like the ECW title is known for its, uh, you know, year-long reigns of its champions. So, um, that said, this was a pretty solid match. Um, I don't necessarily agree with Chavo hitting, uh, you know, or with Punk hitting the, the suplexes and expecting to get cheered and then, Chavo winning with the frog splash and that getting a pop like you can't boo Eddie's moves you can't really boo Chavo hitting Eddie's moves at this point anybody who does hit Eddie's moves against a Guerrero is a dick so like the those were questionable decisions but the rest of the match uh, I thought was pretty solid and I went two and three quarters Cole and coach talk about Rey Mysterio injuring Vicky on Smackdown after she got engaged to Edge, we then had to roll friend Mike Adamley, who talks to Mysterio about his big title match and his thoughts on the mess with Vicky on SmackDown. Ray says Edge only cares about himself, doesn't care about Vicky Guerrero or her getting hurt, which was an accident. But he says uh, he won't say sorry again. Adamley says Ray is working tonight with a torn bicep and Ray shows us it. It's all bruised up and says nothing worse can happen. So he's just going to go out there and do his best to fight through it. In comes Floyd Money Mayweather. He's all in love with Ray. Kind of hug it out, which is a pretty cool moment. We'll get more from money later in the night. Jim Ross and the King plugger the Elimination Chamber mobile pole, and then the Chamber lowers to the ring for our first Chamber match of the night. And it's a big one on the SmackDown side as a winner will go to uh, WrestleMania to face the World Heavyweight Champion, featuring Batista, The Undertaker, Finley, Big Daddy V, MVP, and Great Khali. MVP saunters out. It's a huge opportunity for him looking crisp with the U.S. title strapped up. Great entrance as always. Big Daddy V and Stryker come out next, and then Kali and Singh, some real big boys in this match. Kali looking to get back on track after a shaky last few months. Philly marches out next, now using Hornswoggle's music, which is a questionable choice as he's really shifted his whole persona. Cole tells us Hornswoggle has to face Vince on Raw tomorrow night inside a cage. So we'll see where that goes. Batista storms out to a huge pop. He'll start the match against the rival Undertaker, his usual molten hot entrance as well. Uh, and, and kind of a good start here. Uh, a nice touch to play off all of their issues throughout 07. It's biggest war being rekindled. Really, their issue started about a year ago. So we'll see how they play out. Taker is super tan here as well. <laughs> Looking like uh, like Jim Price uh, heading the desert hard, I guess. We're saying. <laughs> uh, good buds yeah. as we get going with our usual big slugfest with these two. Taker takes over by, getting, uh, by using the grates and chains, but Batista hammers right back. Two bulls smashing into each other. Taker chokes and pounds on Batista, controlling him on the mat against the ropes. He absorbs a lot of offense, too, as Batista tries to battle back, gets a near fall. Big Daddy's in next. He lays into both guys with big chops and clotheslines, picking them apart with a measured attack, really laying it in, dominating the two studs. Uh, v sends Taker hurtling through the chamber door to the floor, but he climbs back in. V just mashing dudes. A pretty fun beating, watching him take turns squashing both guys like bugs. Coach wonders why he's even trying to cover. Batista eventually counters Big Daddy into a big spinebuster, and V is suddenly hurting. 
pretty cool looking power spot there. Batista then gets help from Undertaker. They spear V on the grate and eliminate him. And this is well done. Big Daddy got a lot of shine. Took a quick bomb loss from two all-time greats. This is a nice outing for him as his rebirth in this role continues. Kali is in next. He picks up where Big Daddy left off. Starts battering both guys with strikes. Kali gets a close near fall. Undertaker with a choke slam. The crowd almost bit on that one. Kali grabs Batista in the head vice as Taker watches, but Batista kicks free, takes down the giant to a big pop. Singh tries to get in the ring, but Taker kicks him through the chain to take him out, and then locks Great Kali in the triangle choke, where he eventually taps out. Cool moment, but I feel like this may be the end of Kali's aura, finally. Uh, layered on top of everything from the fall, from when he finally ended his title reign, to now tapping out clean to Undertaker. I felt like this could be it for him. Finley walks in next, enters right into a Taker boot. An assault that he weathers that starts to work through some offense on both men who have been taking quite the beating through this. Taker survives a Celtic cross, another good near fall. Batista wipes out Finley with a great slingshot to the chain. Just three exhausted dudes throwing heavy shots as we edge along. Finley gets a lot of offense in, ends up shooting Taker through one of the chambers. MVP comes in, walks into a war zone. Taker meets him at the door, breaks into the chamber, kicks the shit out of him and leaves him for dead. MVP recovers, hits Yakuza kicks on Batista and Undertaker to get a near fall, pulls off his chain and chokes Finley with it as the match gets more and more vicious. Everyone gets a lot of shine. Everyone's being aggressive. The crowd is behind Taker totally here as MVP just keeps punching him while the waivers, uh, while he wavers but doesn't fall. He keeps stalking MVP who scampers to the top of the chamber. Taker follows, catches him, and throws him off in a great bump to a huge pop. Finley covers and MVP is gone. Great camera work as Hornswoggle pops up in the corner and gives Finley a shillelagh, but he smacks both guys, but Batista stops him, loads out the Batista bomb, but as he does that, Finley smacks him with the club for a good near fall. A moment later, Taker chokeslams Finley on the steel grate to end his night in just a sick bump. We're back to where we started with Undertaker versus Batista, where SmackDown's been for a full year now. Batista's bleeding as they regroup. They meet back in the center of the ring. They have a big slugfest. The crowd is all in on this, backing Taker as the two warrior gods empty it all out. Batista hits a Batista bomb, but Taker survives. Batista then hammers away in the corner. Taker looks dead, but he fires up the last ride, but he can't cover. Batista kicks out when he eventually does. They keep laying in the big blows with neither man closing it out until eventually... Taker pulls Batista in and plants him with a tombstone to win the match. I thought this was amazing out of nowhere when you look at the guys in there. Uh, but it was brilliant booking to make everyone look great and not clog the ring. Everyone crushed their roles, took brutal offense. We had some really big bumps. The crowd was lit the whole time. Everything felt super important. Six guys that wanted it more than anything else. A classic chamber when you least expected it fitting since that's what Taker and Batista have done all year, right? Like just having this crazy year long feud that no one would have expected to deliver classics, a 12 month war Undertaker heads to WrestleMania on a hot streak. Marcus, I went four and a half stars in this match. I thought it was fantastic. And I thought it was a fitting year end war to the, uh, fitting end to the year end war year long war. I'm done. Uh, between Taker and Batista. No, I'll tag in here. Um, you know, if this was <laughs> our WWE war, I mean, we would have a uh, mm-hmm. all-time match on our hands here. I went four and a half as well. Undertaker and Batista anchored this matchup, and, you know, Batista really caught my eye uh, for somebody who kind of gets knocked for being a big guy and not really working. I mean, he is just feeding into offense for other guys beautifully. Uh, his selling was on point. He got great sympathy all night. Same thing with the Undertaker. Um I really loved how the chamber itself was like an X factor in this match and was also like another star of the match. 
Um, mm-hmm. We got what I think two eliminations on the grading itself. We got a fantastic finish that played into uh, or played off of you know being rammed into the this the the chain. So like that's three finishes um, and three big eliminations that all happened because of the chamber itself. Um, I mean MVPs bump off the top, so that's four. Um, you know. I just thought this was amazing. This is everything I want in an elimination chamber. Um, you know, it, my only nitpick is maybe getting another guy in there between the uh, Big Daddy V and Kali entries, you know, whether it's Finley or whether it's MVP, just to help bump around a little bit more. But, I mean, the match didn't really suffer. Batista and Undertaker really stepped up, and they've really shown that, like, they're the, the aces one and two of uh you know this run of smackdown i think what is a sneaky run for smackdown um mm-hmm. not 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 necessarily uh you know on par with the 2002 2003 run but um I, I think it's it's really close to it yeah i love this matchup loved everything about it and um yeah i went i went four and a half uh i'm gonna take it one a notch closer i actually give it four and three quarters Ooh. um yeah i yeah. i First off, I've said going all the way back, you know, obviously before we broke off the this timeline and went to the other one, I loved every aspect of watching Taker and Batista go at each other. Uh, I think it's a whole chip on their shoulder thing because it go it still goes all the way back to Ford Field the year before where they got pissed off that um, that you know Cena and Sean got to go last and Taker and what's so better what's so much better about their match that ours isn't and i think they've been wrestling with a chip on their shoulder ever since um and it didn't stop like it they, it never alleviated because every match they've had or any match they've been in together has been gold uh they they know so well how to handle each other's strengths and weaknesses as two big guys and uh i was just very impressed that that they kept the intensity up that much both were busted open um I had no problem with the other guys. You know, Big Daddy V, Kali, they're all there to just really weigh those guys down. I think we all realized it was it was kind of like a glorified Taker versus Batista number one contenders match with a chamber and four other guys. And that's, let's mm-hmm. be honest. That's pretty much what it was. And to answer your point, JR, I definitely, we said it at the Rumble, I think uh, Kali is cooked. I think he his usefulness is running out. I think mean, he was probably be telling, you know, Vince backstage, you know, telling the bookers or the whatever, the the higher ups that his body's starting to probably break down a little bit. So uh, he had his good run. You know, he had the, he had the title, you know, he, his size was used uh, properly, but uh, I, I, he's cooked. He's cooked. Um, no surprise taker winning um, it should, because I obviously we have a match later on in the night. I don't think there's any suspense there, um, but just an all time, in my opinion, all time chamber match just because. The intensity and the mm. chemistry that Taker and Batista bring each other has not eased up in an entire year. Mm. That speaks volumes about those two guys. You know, just amazing, amazing. Yeah, just to jump in, I wonder. You know, you spoke about the uh, the chip on their shoulder that they've been wrestling with since WrestleMania. Like, it, it looks like that's here tonight, even. Um, because, I mean, you know, we'll eventually get to the main event. But, like, I mean, this chamber, I thought, was just completely off the charts. And, mm-hmm. you know, just you mentioned yeah. the chip that they wrestled with on their shoulder. Like, it's evident here, too. Like, this yeah, like, very easily could have exactly. been the main event. 
Yeah. Exactly. Why does the other chamber get to be last? You know what I mean? It's and I feel like this is like a forgotten part of their feud too. Like it, it I always just assumed it ended at Survivor Series, but we've now seen them a couple more times since at Armageddon, and then again here. So these are like codas to their feud. I think mm. this is finally it. But it really is a full year long for them. So yeah. All right, Edge and the Edgeheads kind of process what just happened. Zack Ryder knows that Undertaker is 15-0 at Mania. Edge tells them they got to start stepping up. Vicky's not here. We need to formulate a plan. In comes Teddy Long, who says he's in charge tonight, unless another Hawkins or Ryder will be banned for ringside. We get a WrestleMania 24 lifeguard ad with Kelly Kelly and Mae Young. Highlights of Ashley and Maria visiting the Playboy Mansion for a party, including a cameo from Hugh Hefner, trying to push Maria into doing the gig. Maria says she's going to think things over after her big night at the mansion. All right. Our next match continues our angle that we talked about last episode, the career-threatening angle between uh, put in place on Ric Flair by Vince McMahon. The next match he loses, he'll have to retire. And tonight he takes on another brash young up-and-comer for the second straight pay-per-view. This time against Mr. Kennedy. On the Raw after the Royal Rumble, Kennedy cut an all-time, uh, an all-time, an in-ring promo saying he had asked William Regal for him not to be part of the Elimination Chamber because instead he wanted to end the career of Ric Flair and no way out. Flair then appeared and wished Kennedy luck on the 2-1 SmackDown. Flair won a career-threatening match over MVP via DQ when MVP refused to break a figure four while Flair was under the ropes. After the match, MVP repeatedly rammed Flair's leg into the post and then trapped his leg in the ring steps and kicked him. Flair was held backstage by referees. On the 2-4 Raw, Kennedy showed footage of the big screen of the Flair MVP post-match and offered Flair a chance to appear the next week to forfeit for no way out or having to face uh, retirement and limp the rest of his life. So he's basically threatening to go after the um, banged-up leg again. There, on the 211 Raw, Kennedy and Flair confronted each other in the ring. Kennedy asked if Flair was going to agree to his offer to forfeit the match, and no way out. Flair refused, saying he'd beat Kennedy. Kennedy then kicked Flair in the bad leg into the Flair strut before leaving the ring. So, Ric Flair back, career on the line against another brass heel, looking to notch his belt. Kennedy's been back on track since December. Could be a big night for him. Brash is always mocking Flair's strut, his mannerisms. He's aggressive, a lot of big strikes. King says he has no respect for Flair. Flair gets a few shots, but Kennedy goes right to the knee and takes over, works a single crab. Flair selling is great as always. Kennedy is so dismissive here, slapping Flair around, methodically just smashing the knee anytime he bows up. Kennedy hooks the figure four. Flair keeps fighting, but Kennedy uh, Kennedy keeps slapping him. Flair survives and battles back. He goes to the knee with a chop block. We get a close near fall on a Kennedy roll-up where Flair's tights come down. I guess maybe one last time for that. We get some Flair figure four teases, but Kennedy keeps hanging in until Flair finally cinches it in to a big pop. Kennedy tries to break free, but he's trapped and ends up tapping out for the uh, loss to give Flair the win, whose career will continue. He cuts a promo afterward. Afterward, and uh, says he'll never retire, and that is that. So for the second straight pay per view, he gets a clean figure four win over a young up and coming star. A fine match, kind of a weird uh, structure here going into the heat segment. All about the knee work. Kennedy was good with his douche mannerisms and approach, but the match to me just never really felt like it got going. Uh, Flair hung on and steals another win with his go-to weapon. So we'll see where he heads from here. So Sky went two and a quarter. I thought this was disappointing. Um, you know, I thought the match at the Rumble helped MVP. I feel like this one maybe hurt Kennedy. What do you think? Did he benefit from this or did it kill the momentum he had built with that great match with Sean at Armageddon? 
Uh, I gave this two and a quarter as well. Uh, your time is 713. Actually, just to let you know, the chamber match length was 2928. So it was mm. almost like a sprint. Um, yeah, I, I, I feel like this was approached differently than, than, uh, the rumble match. Um, I feel like MVP got the match with flair at the rumble because he earned it. I feel like Kennedy got this match at no way out because he needed it. There's a difference. And I know he was hot with the Sean match and, but I feel like they were still trying to validate him after the injury and kind of the mishmashy middle of 07. And this match didn't have that same kind of crackle that Flair and MVP did at the Garden. Uh, and I think a lot of it is because I think Kennedy still has got to kind of get himself back uh, to the level he was at the end of 06, going into 07, almost a whole year earlier, going into WrestleMania 23. And he just doesn't have it yet. Uh, the match with Sean was really good. And, you know, he's had some good TV stuff. The segment at the Rumble was funny. But it just didn't feel hmm. the same as it did when Flair fought MVP. So I don't know if it's just because MVP is actually on fire right now and Kennedy's not. I don't know. It just it didn't feel the same. It didn't have mm -hmm. that same crackle that the Flair MVP match did, Marcus. It was solid. It wasn't great, but it didn't suck. But I didn't get that same feel of of um, of uh, uh, anticipation or or nervousness that I did in the like. I felt like MVP could have beaten Flair at the Garden. Mm -hmm. I went into the, this match thinking there's no way Kennedy's beating Flair here. I, I just felt differently than I did in the other match. Yeah, I feel like they're trying to recapture lightning in a bottle with Kennedy. Like, I can't really explain it, but that late 06 into early 07 run for Kennedy, I mean, I'm a big fan of that run for him. I feel like he's pitching a perfect game. Um, and then, of course, he gets injured. Uh, and then, you know, every return after that, it's just diminishing returns. And he never gets back on track. Uh, and, you know, drastically drops off. I think part of the problem here, Kennedy might be miscast at this point, um, especially when you see the leaps and bounds that guys like MVP have taken up the card. Mm -hmm. We've seen right. Orton elevate his game. Um, and we haven't seen that same kind of bounce from Kennedy yet. And, you know, maybe he's better suited as a face and maybe that's something they should have, uh, you know, decided to do earlier. Um, because he is so obnoxious and can be over the top that, you know, maybe that's what they need to do. The guy was getting pretty good, uh, pretty good, uh, reactions and kind of getting cheered, uh, come money in the bank at WrestleMania 23. So, um, this match for me, like if I was to show somebody a pretty basic standard <laughs> two and a half star match, like this mm. is the one I'd show. Yeah. It's, a, it's concentrated offense. Uh, there's nothing that exposes the business. It's a very typical three-act structure. Kennedy does, does a good job with his aggression. Flair does a great job selling and never never really dying in the match. Uh, and a good conclusion with the figure four. So uh, two and a half stars for me. All right, Vince comes in and trolls Finley. He says he can get therapy on his back. Vincent pumps up his big cage match with Hornswoggle. Says nobody can do anything about it. It will give his son some tough love. 
They get our video package for our Royal Rumble rematch as Rey Mysterio with his torn bicep will challenge Edge for the World Heavyweight title. On the February 1st, SmackDown, Teddy Long, acting GM of uh, SmackDown due to uh, Vicky's scripted injury at the Rumble, assigned a rematch between Edge and Mysterio and No Way Out. The next match, Edge demanded Mysterio come out to apologize for hurting Vicky. When Rey appeared, Vicky slapped him before Mysterio grabbed her arm. Edge then attacked before Mysterio fought back with a 619 and a sit-out splash on the floor. Before leaving, Mysterio grabbed the mic and sarcastically told Vicky he was sorry. During the closing segment on 215, violinists performed at the entrance stage after the ring was decorated with a red mat and flowers. Edge appeared, asked for Vicky to come out because he had a very important question for her. Vicky was wheeled to the ring by Teddy Long. Edge kneeled and asked Vicky to marry him. Vicky accepted and the two kissed. Mysterio then appeared and said he was disgusted by their actions. Edge demanded Mysterio apologize or he'd put him in the same wheelchair that Vicky's in. Mysterio entered the ring and the two brawled until Ray accidentally hit a springboard sit-down splash on Vicky, knocking her out when Edge moved out of the way. On February 13th at a live event in Santiago, Chile, Mysterio was in, injured in, uh, at the show, tore his right bicep, and chose to fight through it to compete in this match regardless. As we saw, though, the arm was all bruised up, and mm-hmm. he would again be pushed to the shelf after the show, after just coming back in August. Edge and his family have really continued to build power and grow stronger. Edge hurt, headed back to the DL. You know, this, this feud's been kind of hot, so they're going to push it, try and get the match out of it. Ray's arm's all bandaged up. Cole talks about the Conquistador-style outfit he has on. We see Floyd Mayweather and his crew in the crowd as Ray parades around. Edge has his usual bombastic entrance. He seems pretty confident. Ray uses his speed early. He has to strike where he can using his left hand and his legs, trying to kick some more than he usually does. Edge kicks him down, swaggers through some offense. Ray bails out angrily. Interesting setup here. Edge is in full bully mode, smashing Ray with hard shots and parading around the ring, bragging at the ease of it. Ray's main offense is just dodging Edge wherever he can and letting the champ make mistakes. Coach wonders if he can figure out any way to attack. Ray gets a perfect top rope moonsault press for two, but he's favoring the arm. Ray keeps outquicking Edge as he's gaining momentum, able to barely hit a 619. The crowd tries to rally him. Ray tries to spring off the top, but Edge buries him with a spear and picks up the easy win. Uh, fine, I guess. Kudos to Ray for trying to gut it out. Made it for a unique match, but kind of a letdown uh, for a big pay-per-view title, title match. But I guess it was good on them to not change it up and bait and switch and actually pay off the story. They had a lot of other stuff on this card, so they could get away with this. Uh, Ray really showed some guts, but Edge is just too good not to win, given the injury. Edge will now have a showdown with Undertaker at WrestleMania. Marcus, I went two and a half. And do you think, do you like that they had Ray go through with this, or do you think they should have subbed and had a better match with someone else? Uh, I kind of like that they had Ray go through with this. Uh, it did give, um, I don't know, like a sense of realism. Uh, you know, these guys are out, you know, not just on TV days, but during the week, making towns and having matches and injuries happen. Uh, torn bicep is one of those injuries that you can work through, but not for long or else, um, you know, they can't put it back together if you wait too mm. long to get surgery. So, um, you know, seeing the torn bicep in the promo was pretty gnarly. Um, and just a like a really wonderful segment. Um you know, a, a wonderful like 25 minutes of programming uh, as you're about to discuss. Um, but I liked this match. I thought it was fun. Uh, I liked that they, again, had a concentrated story that they told. They stuck to it. And the longer that this match would have went, uh, one with the size difference, but two, especially with Ray being so publicly injured, um, you know, the less believable this match would have became. So I liked that 
it went pretty short and that edge was aggressive uh and that he kind of started playing around a little bit and ray caught him and then that's when he ends up hitting the spear so uh i went three and a half i, I really enjoyed this uh i did not uh <laughs> uh two and a quarter for me uh your match time was a very uh brisk uh 527 which is what it felt like uh i will say that at this point with the way this card was they might as well have just had ray and edge wrestle which is fine but uh this match was much worse than the one at the rumble uh, I think Ray is just too big now. Like, you know, we, we, we said at JR way back at SummerSlam that, uh, that Ray just got so bloated and all beefy mm-hmm. and everything that he's not even, he's not even the kind of wrestler he's supposed to be anymore. He has no mobility. Uh, you know, he's kind of, he just doesn't have that same oomph that he used to. I don't know why he got so big it was not necessary. I think, you know, it probably got in his head that Vince, if I, Vince is going to make me a winner. I need to be big and beefy. And well, look what happens. He keeps pulling muscles he never pulled before. And, you know, he's not as flexible. Uh, and it shows. I mean, it's, the matches just are not that good. And this one was okay, you know. And uh, Edge feels like a star now. I just love Edge's feel as a top flight, the guy on SmackDown. Um, and now we're going to get the big payoff because multiple times now over the past several months, uh, edge has screwed taker. So now we're getting the payoff and you know, this might've been one of the first legitimate opportunities where you think to yourself, could edge break the streak? Mm -hmm. Has he earned that shot? You know? So I think it's a great, great movement here. I, uh, uh, Edge is is on top of the world right now. He's he's on fire creatively in the ring with his promos. Ray just seems so broken. It's a shame, but I don't know. You know, we we were saying Jr. that it just seemed weird coming back all big and beefy and everything. And we thought, all right, maybe eventually he'll settle down, cycle off, and go back. No, he's just the same big beefy that he was when he came back, and he's just not the same Ray anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, we talked about it when we did the show with with Will. I, I would, you know, I, Ray is one of the greatest of all time, but I, this is a bad stretch for him. He's just not the same Ray anymore. It's it's a shame. He's he's got a uh, Bravo esque power gut. <laughs> he really does. I mean, he yeah. is so water bloated. It's rough. And a guy that size shouldn't have a water bloat. I mean, seriously, just rough. Not well, good. we'll see if he. Uh figures it out on his next DL stint here that's starting today. Yeah. <laughs> so he's convalescing at ringside and we get a big surprise return as out comes the big show, the skinny big show. The last time we saw him December to December 2006, he was, I mean, looking on death's doorstep. He had the big washed out eyes. He was bloated. He looked worn down. Uh, you know, as the story goes, of course, he found boxing and got himself into great shape and the time off the road really helped him find himself. And he looks to be back here. He comes up to his theme song. He's waving to the fans. He shows off his new body and just seems very happy to be back. And the crowd mm. seemed happy for him. It's a cool moment. Uh, show grabs a mic and says how happy he is to be there, how much he missed it. Says he will be a champion again, regardless of what show or title. So pretty much saying he's back. Ray is still being tended to. His show gives his mission statements. He says he lost 108 pounds. He's faster. He's meaner and ready to get back to WWE. He spots Ray and heads outside and grabs him by the throat. 
and yells to the fans as things suddenly get tense. So this took like a really weird turn as show chokes away and talks shit and drags Ray over to Floyd Mayweather and says, Hey, do you want to help your friend? Show throws Ray in the ring and stalks him to booze, loads up a choke slam. Floyd takes his chain off, breaks through his team and hops into the ring to a big pop. Floyd and show stare each other down. The ring fills with officials and Floyd's crew. Show takes off his jacket, rolls up his sleeves. He's talking shit. He towers over Mayweather, but Mayweather doesn't flinch. Show shoves Floyd, but he gets held back. So Show laughs and drops to his knees so they'll be at the same height. As he does, Floyd just unloads a huge flurry on him. And then they all run away as Show stalks him into the crowd. Shane McMahon's out there with security. They stop him from chasing him. A super intense scene. The announcers did an awesome job laying out here, just letting it play out in silence. We see that Show's nose and mouth are all busted, uh, blood dripping all over him. He's pissed. And you could tell, obviously, he took the shots hard way. Uh, Just a big time segment. The return felt super important with Big Show that he's in this thing with Mayweather all of a sudden. Uh, One of the biggest stars in sports. You can clearly see we're heading to a WrestleMania with this right now. And just top line stuff. And then we get a slow-mo replay to showing that Big Show took those punches flush to the face to get the angle over. He told Mayweather, you know, clock me. Uh, and he took the shot. So, you know, it was an abrupt turn to have him be happy and then all of a sudden stalk Mysterio. But I think you kind of take it that he saw Mayweather and this was his chance to make his name again. Um, so I, this was excellently done. It holds up wonderfully, uh, Scott. This is an all-time segment. It really was. And, uh, you know, show looked great. I mean... Uh, you 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 put before and after from what he looked like in December of 06 and what he looks like now. It's like two different people. Uh, I was very happy when he mm-hmm. came out. Uh, having said that, this I mean, this was serious. I mean, this was very real. It was shot well. You know, Floyd's got all of his, you know, all of his minions there. Um, yeah, it was a uh, it was a, 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 a pretty intense moment. And obviously we have to figure out what the big celebrity thing was going to be for for Orlando. This is it. So uh, I enjoyed it, Marcus. Uh, crowd was hot. Good to do it in mm-hmm. Vegas. Made sense. And away we go. I mean, if we gave star ratings to to angles and segments here, I mean, I would go five stars on this. This was perfectly executed from the beginning of Ray's promo. And even just like you said, the location being in Vegas for this to happen. Like, I feel like WWE in their history hasn't always utilized where they are to play into angles happening, but like this is a really good use of their location uh, for this angle to go down. Um, you know, big show coming in all happy and smiley and, you know, losing, this is the first time we've really seen him like lose this amount of weight, uh, you know, and I mean, he was looking rough at uh, December to, to dismember. I mean, he was very much looking like he was on death watch. He looks awful. Uh, he looks like a, a brand new person here. And for him to be so happy kind of during his promo and his his mission statement to getting annoyed that Ray is out there to getting pissed off that Ray is out there and the explosion that he shows like we haven't really seen that mm-hmm. from the big show. Uh, you know, you have to go back to his WCW days to see him move with that kind of agility. And I think that like scared a lot of fans like they haven't seen mm-hmm. somebody that big move that quickly before. Uh, and that added a sense of realism. Um and commentary laying out for this segment, I thought was very important. Uh, they just kind of let things happen uh, and presented like this was not supposed to happen. Uh, so I thought that was a good call. Getting Mayweather involved and and just letting the fans naturally kind of like get behind Mayweather 
without really hammering home like he's going to, you know, hop in the ring and do stuff. Big Show taking the punches right on the nose, man. <laughs> uh, you know, it takes some guts to to take some live rounds like that. And Shane coming out was an added layer of realism because we all kind of know Shane, you know, was involved with the Mike Tyson dealing. Here he is again with, with Mayweather. He's kind of a, you know, a secret hand in these kind of dealings. The fan, <laughs> I know I talked to JT about this, but uh, the fan saying, which way did he go <laughs> while Shane and Big Show were talking? <laughs> that, <Yeah. laughs> that, that was me. good. Yeah. Oh, that was hilarious. So, um, yeah, it's one of those segments where if you haven't seen the actual pay-per-view version of the segment, I encourage people to go back and watch because how they presented this segment on TV was almost completely different from what happened live. Right. Yeah, yep. and we'll talk about that yeah. as we ramp up to Mania, but they definitely end up twisting it. I, I mm-hmm. think once the live crowd start reacting more negatively to Mayweather, just because he's such a natural douche, <laughs> um, I, I think they realized they they had a problem, that the fans weren't going to take to Mayweather as a face, and they were going to have to change things around. So, But in this moment here, he's clearly presented that way. Mm-hmm. With Joe as the heel. All right, so we move on off of that. We roll right into... Mike Adamley, who's in the crowd, hyping up John Cena's quest to regain his world title tonight. We think in our video package for our WF title match, Randy Orton defending against John Cena. On the Raw, then after a rumble, Cena told Orton he wouldn't wait until WrestleMania and wanted to cash his title opportunity at No Way Out. Orton accepted. On the 2-4 Raw, Orton and Cena had a contract signing for No Way Out. Cena was scheduled for an arm wrestling contest later that night against Mark Henry. Orton indicated if Henry injured Cena's pec arm wrestling, their match at No Way Out would still be on. And, you know, Scott, we talked about this a lot at the Rumble. Did we mm-hmm. think that, like, you know, the Cena thing was kind of a fake out just to give us a moment? Them doing this added to that theory, right? Like, okay, so Cena won the Rumble, puts his title match on the line, No Way Out, doesn't wrestle until here, fights here, and then goes back on the show. Like, it still didn't feel real all the way up until Mania, really. <laughs> like, like at any time, they were just, like, faking us out with this injury. Mm. And come back. So, right. uh, but we're right back at it. Cena's in action. The feud picks up uh, where we left off. Cena chasing for the gold against Orton. Cena gets to cash in that rumble shot. Huge pop as he comes out. Back to having the big time match feeling with him here. Orton's arrogant swagger is on full display. He's really grown into the role. We get great buzz and feel in the arena. They come together. JR's talking up their history. The crowd is hitting the dueling chance as they trade offense to get going. Orton goes after the head and the neck. Cena comes back and tries to go for covers with snap quickness. knowing he's gotten his way into a key spot quickly after coming back. So he wants to take advantage. Orton comes back and goes after the bicep. The crowd is all in here, cheering and booing every move. Cena gets two on a top rope leg drop, but Orton keeps coming back with counter strikes. He switches his attack to the leg after blocking the FU, stomps away and on the bicep as well. Cena tries to battle back again, but slams off the buckle and Orton grabs a tight chin lock to control him to the mat. Really well done. He slowly drove John Cena down by wrenching at it. The buzz has sustained all match. Cena works free and continues to run through his offense, tries the FU, but Orton wiggles free and bails to the floor. Cena follows. They trade blows in the aisle with both barely beating the count in. Really good tease on that. Orton's leg is banged up as he cuts off Cena again. We get some big counters as each man avoids the the big shot with the offense opening up. Cena ends up countering the RKO and hooks the STFU to a big pop. Orton hangs on and gets the ropes and rolls outside. A really good war ongoing. Orton's clutching his leg and begging the ref to count him out, but Cena comes down to follow him. Orton snags and RKOs him on the floor. 
Cena barely beats the count back in, and we keep going. Just a big fight feel all through this. Cena demands Orton fight him, but Orton just looks at the ref and punches him in the face. The ref looks back and calls for the bell as Orton smirks. Cena berates the ref after and hits him with an FU and STFU. Uh, just an amazing uh, atmosphere for this match, and it was really fun, as always. These guys have great chemistry. The crowd was so engaged. It was simple and effective. Both guys uh, know their roles. It flowed easily. Another sneaky out for Orton, but God, it works for him. It's like the third straight time we've had something like this with them. Uh, but they're always great. You just have to expect to go again that he may pull some bullshit at any time. So he keeps his belt to head to Mania. Uh, I went three and a half stars, Marcus. Do you think that pushing it with these Orton finishes, when is enough enough for you? But uh, to me, they're still working for him to do these things. Yeah, they're still working. Um, I might be impartial. I'm a huge uh, Orton supporter, <laughs> Orton fan. Um, and I absolutely love him during this time, just seeing him get better, seeing his rise, um, that started back kind of around, uh, I guess last time I was on the podcast with the, uh, stretcher match with, uh, Rob Van Dam. Mm-hmm. Um, and just seeing now that he's champion, seeing that Cena's back, they seem to be back, uh, where they left off. I, I loved the finish. I loved the build. I loved how simple the matchup was and they let the character work. And the fans do the work for them. And I know that yes. Orton and Cena matches, you know, they get, uh, rightly or wrongly, uh, they, they have a reputation for being boring and repetitive. But, like, that's why these guys can still work to this day. And, it's you know, they have 20-plus year careers. Mm-hmm. Um, they work smart. They work hard when needed to. They let the fans do the rest of the work for them. Um and it like it helps preserve their star power. Like, you know, Orton has been pretty consistent on TV since then. So, you know, maybe, you know, his star power is a different kind of star power than Cena. Um, but like we haven't seen them do everything that they are physically capable of doing. Um, they pace themselves and they you know, they, they save they save stuff for other matches. And uh for me, I went four and a quarter. I absolutely oh, wow. loved everything. Yeah. yeah um the the shows of equality, um, mm-hmm. you know, and just natural fan reaction to, you know, when there is the standoff to see these two dudes after they beat the count both times, uh, you know, just to go to throw and blows and the intensity was there. It fed into the storyline. Um, and I love the cheap out with Orton at the end, uh, because that's what a good heel does. Um, you know, a good heel wants to fight, but uh, is eventually scared to. And uh, being that WrestleMania is right around the corner, I didn't I did not have a problem with the finish like this. It was well executed. Uh, I gave this uh, three and three quarters uh, at a time of fifteen fifty one. So these guys got a pretty good uh, a pretty good amount of time. And. When you look back. At all of uh, the great opponents that John Cena has had in his career, a lot of people say that his best opponent was Edge. Maybe Triple H, you know, maybe. But I think because they're like the faces of of ruthless aggression, like they were the guys who bridged the gap and is doing and was still doing it at this moment. I will always contest that that Orton was Cena's greatest opponent, uh, not just for the in-ring part of it, but just the generational part of it. You know, you got two guys, different backgrounds in getting to the business. 
um, but both becoming pretty much the faces of the future going all the way back to 2002, 2003. And now they had some matches in 07 and then Cena got hurt. And now here we are again. And I'm usually very traditionalist. I hate seeing weird things when it comes to like title shots and stuff. But in this instance, creatively, it made perfect sense for, for Cena to, to jump on the title shot and not wait till, till Orlando. It's like title shots are title shots. Fuck it. I want to, I want to go in as champ, not go, not go in as the challenger. I want to beat you now. I think that's, I think that was fantastic uh, thinking creatively. I just love watching these two wrestle. I really do. Yeah. They, they the have whole that. thing's been great with them. Yeah. They, 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 they know how to stalk each other. We talked about it, JR, with D'Amato two weeks ago. Uh, I mentioned that, that Orton is just so good at just stalking. And even a, a, an experienced guy like Cena who tries to sneak a couple of small packages in early on, uh, Orton just does not waver. Like, it's, it's amazing how much he, how much in 2007 he grew up very quickly. Mm-hmm. And now he pretty much acts like a legit veteran. Um, you know, the ending didn't, I didn't really care. You knew it was going to be something stupid and, yeah. but it was perfect to Orton. Like, you know what, Cena, fuck you. I don't really care <laughs> win this match. Just go fuck yourself. Hit the ref. I'm out of here. Take your stupid jorts and suck it. I'm out of here. Perfect. Randy Orton, like, you know what? I've got this belt, your stupid spinner thing. And you ain't getting it. You can have this winner. You know, the immortal words of Gorilla Monsoon. You can have the winner's purse. You can get the bigger right. check at the pay window. I'm taking this thing and I'm out of here. So there's your title shot, dipshit. I mean, just perfect Orton heelness. Like everything creatively made sense here. Mm-hmm. And on top of that, the match is great. So I anticipate what happens between now and March 30th in Orlando. But this was a great story to tell. And uh, just another great example on how John Cena and Randy Orton, when they are together, they just get it. They get it. All right. We go backstage with Shawn Michaels and Triple H run into each other and give some warnings about tonight's main event based on what the stakes are. So a good way to add some importance and gravity to our final match of the night, which is the Raw Elimination Chamber with John Cena using his title shot tonight. We now need a new number one contender for WrestleMania. So William Regal said, hey, we're going to have a chamber match. And the winner here will face the winner of Cena Orton in Orlando. So chamber time, Umaga, JBL, Chris Jericho, Shawn Michaels, Jeff Hardy, and time to play the game.
The game Triple H rounds out this big time main event where it's well with all the big Raw stars have been going at it down the back end of 07 into the new year. A lot of outstanding and standing scores to be played out. Be settled with the title match on the line. Also, it was cool to see Jeff Hardy still in the mix here as well. Like we haven't forgotten him in the title picture after the Rumble. Right. Chris yep. Jericho getting elevated up after his return. JBL the same. We get a big pop for Hardy when he comes out. King talks about JBL's wife now being one of the top financial analysts in the world. Get a cool start with Sean and Jericho. Good choices to get things moving. Call back to the history together in 2003. Pretty standard stuff to start. Trading strikes until Sean lands hard on Jericho's knees. Hitting a flying elbow off the top. Jericho looks to be playing himself back into shape here. He's moving better. A little less hesitant. Nice spot where Sean gets his knees up on a lion salt, but Jericho blocks that, goes right into the walls. They keep trading strikes from there, setting the appetizer before things ramp up. Umaga's in next. He mauls both guys right away, smashing them with a double clothesline, fending off whatever they try and do, eventually hitting an awesome Samoan drop with both guys on his back. The crowd seems a little burned out here early on uh, with some really hot stuff, even uh, after some hot stuff. Umaga controls the entire segment, only slowing up when missing a big move. Sean gets sliced open. He's the first to bleed. Umaga misses a top rope splash. Sean nails him with a flying elbow. Jericho gets the walls. Sean gets a cross face, but Umaga hangs on until JBL comes in and attacks Jericho. Umaga and JBL lay a solid beating here. Sean and Jericho take some hard bumps on the steel into the chain walls to some basic brawling. Umaga lays in some vicious kicks as Sean is bumping around. Hunter's in next. He goes right at JBL and Umaga, unloading offense and taking over the match. He starts cleaning house on everyone as he wakes up the crowd by wiping everyone out. Hunter loads up Jericho for a pedigree, but JBL mashes Hunter with a clothesline from hell. Jericho pops up and ends up eliminating JBL with the codebreaker, getting some revenge, pretty much ending their feud. JBL comes back with a chair and just destroys Jericho, Michaels, and Umaga before he leaves. As he leaves, everyone's wrecked on the mat. Sean is pouring blood. Hardy comes in. And has his choice here. He goes after Umaga, who's staggering to his feet. Jeff lands his offense on everybody, just completely owning the ring. The crowd is pretty much the most into him tonight so far. Hardy uh, wipes out Triple H and Sean on a double-team attempt. But Umaga kicks him down and starts to wreck shop again with a vicious snap offense. Umaga whips the now-bleeding Jericho against one of the pods and smashes them both through the glass with a running avalanche to a big pop, the best spot of the match. Umaga sets up a spike on Jericho, but he takes sweet chin music, a code breaker, a pedigree, and a swanton off the pod. And that ends his night. Just a great way to keep him super protected, eating all the finishers. And you get all the pops in there, too, with all the finishers as well. So that was that was well done with the big bomb to end Umaga's night. Right after that, Sean smashes Jericho's sweet chin music, and Hardy covers to take him out. Hardy pops up and hits a twist of fate on Sean, but Hunter saves his buddy before burying him with a pedigree to send him packing, leaving us with just Triple H and Jeff Hardy to pick up where they left off in December. We'll see if Hardy can pick up another big win and head to Mania, or has the magic ended for now? They end up pretty even with a fight from there, unloading everything and using the chamber as a weapon. Hunter gets busted open as Hardy's being super aggressive, trying to finish him, but misses a swanton, walks into a pedigree for a great near fall. The card really was relieved there that he survived. Hunter sets up a pedigree on a chair, but Hardy blocks with a low blow. Hardy tries a twist of fate, but Hunter blocks that, and now he hits the pedigree on the chair and ends up uh, picking up the win to head to WrestleMania. Another great... Uh, 
another great chamber match here tonight. Not as intense or loaded with big spots as the one we saw earlier, but still really well constructed. Some hard hitting offense and a couple of big bumps that really resonated well. The crowd was definitely burned out by this point. So they weren't as involved as they were earlier, but they weren't asleep either. Hardy Numaga, I thought, looked the best. It made sense for Hunter to get his win back uh, into the title picture. He's been a slow climb since his return. They really could have cemented Hardy. I will say that. I think he should have at least pinned Sean with the Swanton. I didn't think we needed Triple H to get that win over Sean. Let Hardy at least get that visual pin over Sean. And then if he's going to lose to Hunter, fine. Uh, but it feels like they got really close and then backed off right before the big pull. Uh, the crowd seemed ready. Uh, I went three and three quarters. So, again, just a step behind the other one, but still really, really good. Um, you know, Hunter has obviously been great since the return. But, Scott, do you think this was Hardy's moment to make the leap? Uh, I wouldn't have had a problem with it. Not at all. Um, as a matter of fact, I don't know if they wanted to. I mean, they took a big risk here because mm. uh, obviously Triple H is a face right now. Um, and he's still got a pretty good pop after beating, after pinning Jeff to win the match, uh, which surprised me. I, I'll be honest. I wasn't expecting that. Um, but yeah, I, I, uh, I, I wouldn't have a problem with it. Not at all. Not at all. He wouldn't, he didn't, I mean, at this point, why not? I mean, he's been great. Crowds into him. Uh, I think I hate to say it and I'm, you know, we'll get into it in a couple weeks with Jeff. You never know, Mm -hmm. you know, you never know. And you know what I'm all definitely end up, they end up dodging a bullet for sure. Yeah. But I mean, but at this point in his defense, in Jeff's defense, you didn't know that at that moment. No. Uh, and maybe things would have gone differently had he did. Uh, not to say that that's an excuse for what happened. We'll get more into that in, in a couple weeks. Uh, but would would it have been right to turn the, pull the trigger on him? Sure. Uh, but I'll tell you something. If you put him in that match, and it's if you do Orton and, and uh, Jeff in the rematch from the Rumble, uh, I'm sure Cena's going to get involved somehow. But even if you do a triple threat, if you're going to put Jeff in that match, he's have to win. Uh, yeah, yeah. You're only going that far if you're ready to put the belt on him. Yeah, exactly. So if they're not ready to have, for him to win, then he's better off just coming oh so close. And I agree with you 100%. Why can't you just – why can't you give him the, the – Triple H not the pin, Sean. That was – Yeah, that was the that one was right there. Like, let him at least eliminate Sean. Yeah, there's, there's no need for that. That's fine. Uh, having said that – in storyline, it makes sense for Triple H to win uh, because he's, you know, he's coming back from the injury. Uh, he has unfinished business with Orton dating back to October. Uh, so that's fine. And it's not something that doesn't make sense. However, if you're feeling the energy in the room, um, maybe Vince calls an audible. And, you know, Triple H, I don't know if Jeff Hardy could actually, Jeff Hardy would have had to win this one more more cleanly than you know the, the stealing the roll up like he did at Armageddon. I mean, if he's going to beat Triple H here, he's got to swanton him and hit everything and get the job done the right way. Swanton off one of the uh, the pods would have been a great visual. So I, I would have had no problem with Jeff winning, but if you were going to have Jeff win and go to Mania, he'd have to win the whole thing. And if they weren't ready mm-hmm. to do that, this is just as, as good. But I agree with you. That little extra something uh, would have been for him to pin Sean instead of Hunter. That 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 was no need. There was no need for that. 
I mean, it doesn't hurt Hunter's win, but it's it's more just Jeff loses an easy chance to get some cred. Mm-hmm. Um, but I love I did love this match. I gave it. Uh, what did I say again? I don't even know if I mentioned it. Three and three quarters. Uh, no, wait a minute. Hold on. Yeah. Three and three quarters. Uh, your time was twenty three fifty four. So this match was actually shorter than the SmackDown one mm-hmm. by almost five minutes. So. Uh, but I thought the match was fine, Marcus. Um, uh, but what do you what do you think of my theory here? If like just to piggyback Jr's question, would this have been the time to pull the trigger on on Jeff? And would you have done it if you didn't plan on having him win in Orlando? So, for right or for wrong, when WWE has a plan, the plan is the plan. And nothing is going to shake that. And Triple H was supposed to get his rematch at 23, the run back with Cena, and he gets injured. And he has a pretty good comeback. There's been a nice slow build to him reasserting himself in the main event pitcher. Um, so it was a no-brainer that Triple H was going to win this. But another famous catchphrase there. Plans change, pal. And I remember when Jeff Hardy was announced for this match, that Raw crowd went absolutely nuts. Mm-hmm. And the momentum that he's had, I guess since Rumble uh, and since the build up from that, you got to pull the trigger and go with Jeff. And, you know, it's it's an elimination match. It's the elimination chamber. And if a wild card, if an underdog kind of comes out from nowhere and pull pulls one out it doesn't make anybody look any worse triple h doesn't look any worse for um taking a taking a fall to jeff hardy in the finals mm-hmm. um you know and and you can always play around with the the order of entry too you know if you want to put triple h over some more by having him have you know a more grueling outing being in there longer whatever there was there's ways around that i would have i would have uh went with the hot hand i would have went with jeff hardy uh, I think he's getting the best pops on the TV leading up to this. He won the fan uh, text poll that they did during the night. He got the biggest reaction all night uh, when he came out. And he's definitely the most over face in this matchup. I would have put Jeff Hardy over strong. Uh, maybe Triple H hasn't taken any moves off the top of pods after uh, what RVD did. Oh, yeah, what RVD did, yeah, that's a good point. (laughs) But, you know, if if Jeff, uh, you know, just connects with a really good chair shot, uh, you know, that could be enough. Um, You know, there's ways around that, too. I would have went with Jeff Hardy. I would have, you know, you still have Triple H there. You could always make it a four-way and use the TV to get Triple H into that match Um, if you're concerned about Jeff slipping um you know as we'll see um you just take them out and do a triple threat match or insert somebody else into that um or get creative with it um there is definitely not a lack of star power or depth on this roster right now right so i think now is the perfect time to take a chance and to go with a hot hand like jeff hardy um we are all in agreement though i went uh three and three quarters Mm, okay all right, so that'll wrap up this show. Why don't we get into our awards here? Uh, move on. MVP for me, I ended up going with Big Show. I, I mean, he was awesome in that segment. He took the hard way shots from, from Mayweather. He looked great. 
it was a cool moment for him, and it sets up a big-time match at WrestleMania. I'm going to go with Orton. I mean, he's just – he's living it right now. And uh, right now, in terms of just being what his gimmick is, there's nobody better in the company right now. And I'm going to go with my main man, Big Daddy Dave Batista. I thought he really – along with Undertaker, but – uh, I thought maybe Batista just an inch more uh, really put that SmackDown Elimination Chamber on his back. Uh, and like you said, Scott wrestled with a chip on his shoulder. And um, I thought he turned in the best performance. and was the most valuable player on this night. All right. My LVP, I'm with Kennedy. I, th- I thought he wasted a real opportunity against Flair in that match. We saw, you know, MVP really step up and deliver at the Rumble in that same spot. And I thought this was another chance for him to continue to rebuild himself like he did starting at Armageddon. Um, and I, I just thought it came up kind of weak looking. Um, I agree, but I think I'm going to go with Kali. I think uh, I think it was pretty evident that he's cooked and they didn't hide the fact that he's cooked. I mean, it, it was just for a guy that could dominate a match like that. He went out pretty much with a whimper. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and go with Kennedy as well. Um, he's just, he's just missing something right now and he's Mm -hmm. missing something that was there in the first run and it's not here in the second run. Um, and I, I think it also, I guess hurts, uh, hurts his case tonight that like it was a pretty solid night of action and everybody I thought turned in pretty good performances. So I I think Kennedy just happened to be the weakest of the bunch. All right, I think we're all in agreement for best match, the SmackDown Elimination Chamber. Yes. Yep. Okay. Uh, worst match of the night, I went with Flair Kennedy. Yep. Yep. Okay. Best moments, I went with the obviously Mayweather slugging Big Show. Yeah. Yep. That was crazy. Yeah. Okay. And biggest surprise of the night, I think it had to be Big Show's return. Yep. Definitely. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Final grade, I mean, we are rolling hot right now. You know, the Rumble, I gave it eight. I thought this was nearly as good, just as maybe a slight step behind because it didn't like the surprise is still awesome with Show Mayweather, but the Cena surprise is like incredible. Uh, But this isn't far behind. I feel like this is a forgotten classic show um, all time. Like I really dug the show. I didn't realize how good it was. You know, and I hate to say this because they're not totally down on the women from this stretch, but we haven't had them the last couple of shows too. So our baseline has been like over two stars. So like their consistency is there. These mm-hmm. shows continue to be super easy to watch. They're tight. They're like two hours and 40 minutes on the dot. Yep. Match, match, match. There's like no BS. They get a lot of star power still. They're really much more enjoyable, Scott, than I anticipated coming back to this. So I was seven and a half, just a slight notch below the rumble for me, but just a great show. We are in prime position heading to WrestleMania coming off. You know, Survivor Series was great. Armageddon was solid, especially for a December show. Um, even before that, we loved Summer Sunday quite a bit. No mercy was great. Like it's really been since Unforgiven and SummerSlam were you know a bit down, but since No Mercy, we've really been in a groove with these pay per views. Have been really really damn good to great, and this continued the trend. What do you got? Uh, um, 
This is a tough one. I, I, I needed a minute to think because I feel like I graded matches higher on this show than I did for the Rumble. Mm-hmm. But I feel like the Rumble was a better show, but not by much. I'm, well, I'm a big part of the Rumble, too, was the crowd, the atmosphere, the the Cena moment. You get the Piper stuff. Like, I, I think they're close in their own way. Yeah. Just have the, I mean, I went four and a half of the Rumble, four and a half of this chamber. So it's like, it's, you know, it, it's negligible. If you wanted to go this equal or, or you know, whatever, I, I think you're justified for sure. Yeah, I mean, if we look at the worst match at the Rumble, it was probably JBL Jericho, as we yeah, talked about. Yeah, it's about the same as this flair. It's about Kennedy. the same as this. You know what? Fuck it. I'm going to give it an eight. I'm going to even, I'm going to match mm-hmm. it with the Rumble. I, I think the crowd was exciting. The Mayweather show stuff was awesome. Um, at least Flair won that match. Uh, both chambers were great. I love Cena Orton to death. Um, Edge looked dominant as a bullying heel. Just everybody's ready for mania. Like, I feel everybody's swole right now mm-hmm. to head to, to head to, to Orlando. So I'll, I'll give it an eight. I'll give it an eight. I might be a little generous, but I'll give it an eight. Yeah. For me, I need one of those either edge or it's not edge. Um, Either the opener with Punk and uh, Chavo or the Flair Kennedy match. If one of those, I think, would have cracked above three for me, mm-hmm. this show would probably be an eight. But that said, I'm going to go with a seven and a half. But um, this was, I thought, was a really fun watch. This was a very easy show just to put on and plow through. Um, super enjoyable time. Yeah, I mean, they've all been that way, which has been nice since we've re- rebooted here. We've only had a few that really have sagged. So it's been a worthwhile journey as we enter, you know, our first WrestleMania as part of the reboot. Of course, we uh, started right at Backlash Show 7, and Marcus Frost right at the end of the season here. <laughs> um, fittingly, <laughs> that we're here just about the yes. season 07 08. So we'll be back in two weeks, unbelievably enough, with WrestleMania 24. We'll be looking forward to that. We're going to have our first time ever guest, so that'll be exciting. Um, and until then, everyone take care. We'll talk to you first. Hand into his pocket, all first fist into the faces. And it's the last to run, uh do it again. And it's the rascal king behind the box of the one in front of them. Last to run, uh do it again.